and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. An inmate attacked a correctional officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused to go back to his cell. This is what we have to deal with, inmates like that. Everybody has an opinion to know about what goes on and stuff in here, but not times out of ten, if anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer, he never even been in the facility, never been inside of the jail. They have 24-7 to sit there and come up ways to outsmart so they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Still remain professional and, and do a job. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Lake County Sheriff uh, says, quote, they are heroes in my books. Regular day at the office. Tonight, or today, or whatever now is, I am joined by active sergeant in the field, Jake Motherfucker Welder. I am a former correction officer. I did six years inside. One time, I added up all the hours that I spent working, and I realized I had spent over a year in prison. And I realized it affected me just as much as I had lived there. You are not a good person when you are in prison that much. There's no way that Jake is still a good person. Jake, speaking of you, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I uh, I had a similar experience. I went to uh, HR when I was like three years in, so I should have been somewhere around like 6,000 worked hours. And uh, I asked them if I was any, you know, like where I was. And they said, you're actually closer to five than you are to three as in hours worked. So um, I was not a good person back then. I, I'm doing better today and lately. Obviously, uh, when you achieve rank and your power uh, grows, your ambition grows and your money grows and people throw themselves at your feet to do your bidding you know that sort of thing makes you a better person once i became a sergeant i was definitely maximum best john that i could be i don't know if you could tell this uh audience i i'm real tired both jake and i are like drinking coffee right now we both had uh unsuccessful naps i don't know if you're younger than me but um there is such a thing as an unsuccessful nap where you can lay down and uh, you lie fitfully or uh, somehow your sleep, like you go into sleep mode, but it, like your bat, you're, you're not, your charging cable's not plugged in. So like you're still draining while you're asleep. You're actually not getting better at all. Like you're not rebuilding your muscle tissue. You're not you know, squeezing serotonin into your brain. You're just, you're, you're, uh, you're an unplugged laptop. And then, so, you know, you were, you were 20% when you went to a nap. And you you wake it up, you know, you open the lid and then you're at 12 percent. You're not any better. That's what be getting older is unsuccessful <laughs> napping. And then, you know, sometimes you can just have bad dreams or you're just, uh, you know. So anyway, uh, I think both Jake and I are at the at the end of unsuccessful naps. Mine was especially unsuccessful. I didn't even get to lay down for mine. I was driving. I drive home about an, <laughs> about an hour. And for the most part, the road's straight. So, you know uh i'll nod off now and then and, and i only know where i am because like i have to wait for the next cross street i'm like oh i'm i'm farther along than i thought so i was sort of you know i was asleep slash driving for that so i didn't get to lay down like jake did jake uh 
how have you been over the past week? Have you had any cool incidents? Last week, we jumped right into it. We were talking about what a shithole Georgia DOC is. But I forgot to, like, touch base with you. We had we have had a lot of football episodes lately that kind of make me resent you as a person, so I don't check in with you. <laughs> check in with you personally what's going been going on at work like bring us up to speed on the state of corrections you know i have not handcuffed anyone uh in in weeks <laughs> and uh you know i i have not beaten anyone with a lead sap in almost a month so for, for me i'm getting a little out of practice never mind yeah. that i've been out of the job since 2015 what's going on there just uh tell me tell me about what's happening there in, in jail wherever you are yeah, I'm get, getting a little rusty on my improvised weapons um, lately. I need to I need to brush up on that. Um, now, people have been uh, things have been good generally at the jail overall. We got rid of a, a couple people. They've moved on to other areas and stuff um, because you know it's a short term um, jail. It's not like a prison where people stay for decades. So. Um, when certain people move on, um, we literally throw a party. So I threw a party for the officers. I made um, Cuban sandwiches for everyone, um, which you wouldn't think from a white white guy from the East Coast, but uh, made some really nice ethnic food for uh, the troops and people kicked in and we had a good time. Um, we had a couple, we've had like one individual fought like four or five different people. Um, so every time I come in, I'm like, okay, who did he fight now? And they're like, oh, only two more people. Um, and he tried to start one while I was there, but much to my chagrin, he gave up as soon as I came in the door. So I ran all the way there and wasn't able to get a piece of anything. So that's the most upsetting part of being a sergeant. My office is just a little bit too far away to get in on the action. Um, if, if that's even a complaint. The second time I've heard you refer to Cuban sandwiches as ethnic food, and uh, the first time was like in episode two, and I didn't feel like I was in a strong enough place with you where I could contradict you or challenge you. But mm. now that like it's like uh, we're we're like going after each other personally in text messages in our office, it's like well whatever. Uh, but I looked it up. It said uh, the the Cuban sandwich was born in Cuba from mm. the so literally mixed sandwich, meaning you know mixed different kinds of meats, for example, and cheese. She said. Uh, anyways, that, that's, that's what not, she said. Well, I mean, it literally says that in the article, <laughs> so that's what she said. Uh, it's got a picture of uh, uh Michael Scott. Um, <laughs> uh, well, here in Wikipedia, it says place of origin, United States, Florida. So that's so. Do you mind diverting on this for just a minute? I'm going to read a little bit of it from Wikipedia the history because if you you know, now that we do this show at a court format, I don't know if you guys listened to the last episode of the football thing, but it's like when I was reviewing that, like I had way more objections to put in. I'll just read briefly because I am a I'm a student of institutions and sandwiches. I'm actually very interested in uh, and primarily what I'm interested in is the history. I, I know the history of the hamburger and I know that the history of the hamburger is not fixed, which suggests to me that like someone's traveling through time i will discuss all that with you at another time anyway uh this is the history from wikipedia as with cuban bread the origin of the cuban sandwich sometimes called a cuban mix or mixto a cuban pressed sandwich or a cubano is murky in the late 1800s and early 1900s travel between cuba and florida was easy especially from key west and tampa 
Cubans frequently sailed back and forth for employment, pleasure, and family visits because of the constant and largely undocumented movement of people, cultures, and ideas. It is impossible to say exactly when or where the Cuban sandwich originated. Some people believe the sandwich was common lunch food for workers in both the cigar factories and the sugar mills of Cuba, especially in big cities such as Havana or Santiago de Cuba. The cigar factories of Key West. Historian Loy Glenn Westfall states that the sandwich was born in Cuba and educated at Key West. You know, it's so weird because uh, Eggs Benedict is the same way, where it was created one place and then it was perfected somewhere else. And so mm. in the place of its origin and the place of its perfection, are uh, either one claims to sort of own that. Um, my next podcast will be about the history of eggs benedict <laughs> i actually wrote a whole article on that and like i said the history of the hamburger no one gives a fuck about either one of those things but <laughs> uh but uh, either way i think that you're you're good to call it ethnic food because as far as i'm concerned florida is a foreign country too they're not definitely not part of the south mm. you go south from georgia you go south from you know alabama or whatever's touching florida over there and it's just yeah you're in a, another area it's like you go south and then it's like you get to the South Pole and you flip and then you're going north again. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, we used to joke about that all the time going to Florida. It's like um, at a certain time of year, you go down there and it feels like there's more northerners than there are uh, locals. So, yeah, um, you're so far south, you're north. Um, the the this particular recipe uh, was a family recipe from a, a family friend. We'll put it that way. Oh, he was and, someone uh, that worked for you undocumented. <laughs> no, it was actually a a, a a female that I I learned how to uh, make the sandwich and and the sauce from uh, her family. Um, they were both like first generation Americans. Um, so I was joking with her uncle about the. I was the, worried this was a pre-madge love, and you weren't wanting to talk about it or something. <clears throat> this this was very much pre-madge. Um, this was, I was talking to her uncle about it, and uh, I asked him if he was afraid uh, coming over because he told me he brought the recipe over on his inner tube from Cuba, and uh, he said he was afraid initially, but then his grandmother told him she, she said, "Don't worry, grease floats. You'll be fine." And then I was joking to him about uh, Cuban cigars. And I said, you know, they'd say that they're rolled on the thighs of virgins. But what they don't tell you is they're his thighs um, that they, they roll the cigars on. So um, it was a little uh, little family joke. But I, I, I learned it from an actual uh, family that was half Cuban. They gave me the recipe and I've taken it with me to the southwest. And there isn't really a decent... Um, Cubano that I've been able to find anywhere around here. I try them occasionally in different places just to be set myself up for disappointment. Um, none of them are quite as good as uh, the sandwiches that I produce. So uh, I want to say my wanna, recipe, but I want to say first of all, you're the only one I know who's as strange as I am, but you're not at all like me. Number two, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of. Uh, unmitigated florida fears just checking in one last time i know this will probably come out after sunday but uh you feel still feeling good about the bills going up against the fence feeling good uh i wouldn't say good but i feel like if anybody has a chance to stop their momentum it's our team i don't like uh let's, let's we don't, don't like not having up. jordan poyer but yeah yeah i don't even know who that is so one thing i hate about the southwest oh i'm sorry i don't know everyone i haven't met all people i think that's okay uh, one uh 
One thing that bugged me about the Southwest, I remember the first time I went to the Southwest uh, as someone who was old enough to really remember, because I've been many times, but this would have been 96. And I go down, uh, there's a a town down there called Albuquerque. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's in New Mexico. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it's just west of the Sandias Mountains. Yep. And uh, Den of Villainy. I've heard that actually. They just I saw something on the news that a, someone tried to drive by an Albuquerque cop last night, uh, yeah. the night before. And uh, my brother-in-law is actually uh, he works for Albuquerque PD. Uh, I've never mentioned him before. That's okay. Uh, nothing against him. He's a great guy. I just I don't really have a relationship with him. But um, anyway, back to Albuquerque. Uh, had a lot of family down there, and uh, so I had a lot of reason to go there. But the, there's green chilies and everything. Can you confirm or deny that? Have you ever been to Albuquerque? Yes, it's uh, red, green, or Christmas, which is a combination of combination the two. two. Well, those those are your options. Yes. I couldn't help but notice that green chilies, however, specifically green, were in everything. I remember uh, my grandmother and I went to the grocery store, and she was just getting her staples because she lives there. Like, it was nothing special that I was visiting. She grabbed a box of post grape nuts and they had green chilies in them. There's no fucking reason. It's like you have to ask for it. It's like it's like in the South, if you want tea and you don't want it sweet, you have to say like not sweet tea. Like if you want fucking box of cereal that doesn't have green chilies in it, you have to like talk to the manager and he like sits there and looks at you while he picks them out. Yeah, it it didn't seem like there was an option to not get sweet uh, green or uh, sweet tea when I was down south. I remember the first time I went down there as a child around that same time. Um, we stopped at some kind of diner or something, and the waitress is like, "Sweet tea, you want sweet tea? You want sweet tea? I'll get you a sweet tea." And she just like walked away and brought s- sweet tea for everyone at the table. So, yeah, I like sweet tea, but now that I'm on a diet, I'm actually. You inspired me to, to start up my diet again. So that's part of the reason why I'm feeling lousy is because I've been fasting today. And I didn't prepare, which is not how you do a fast. So, um, But uh, we could get down to it. I'm sh- hopefully, you know, we were almost almost at 15 minutes and people are like, why the fuck are they talking about sandwiches and sweet tea and uh, grandmas and green chilies? Because every episode is an act of roguery and we do what we want. We don't ask for permission. I don't know if you saw that PDF, but I'm just <laughs> I still it still hasn't downloaded. It's been downloading for months now. Do you remember? Uh, I don't. I didn't. This is back back before I knew you. So I'm actually just going to ask you a, a weird question. Before I was on the team at Failure to Stop, uh, I was waiting in the wings. It was December before Mike left, and I was kind of like I wasn't official on the team, so I couldn't do anything official as long as Mike was there because Mike owned the business and Mike didn't hire me, so I couldn't do anything. But I, I set up my own things, and I had I was kind of in the background, and people knew me from the, being the person that drew Eric's book. And I made this reel about uh, how it was me watching all the iterations of Failure to Stop. I was watching uh, Off the Cuff with Mike and Dave, and how they're laughing about the best poop story ever told. I was watching uh, the old night shift with Eric and Andrea, and they were going back and forth about whether or not she was old enough to smoke in the 90s, you know. <laughs> and uh, then I was watching, you know, Drew having um, 
some kind of special about uh, just something that Drew cared about, you know, like that really, you know, deep Drew material. And then, and then, so then I open up my phone and I like going through my contacts and it's uh, everyone in the wolf pack is in my contacts. I actually changed all my contacts to represent like the screen names. You know, like just as a cool, like uh, Easter egg for them, which no, but none of them appreciated. But corn pop is a bad dude. Never fucking reached out to me to say, thank you for that. Um, and then, uh, so then it's me calling Drew. And I said, Drew, I figured it out. People don't care about Bigfoot. They don't care about police issues. No, they care about best friends. Like people like Mike and Dave because they're best friends. People like Eric and Andrea because they're best friends. So I was thinking you and I, we have six weeks till Cobb set of premieres. We have six weeks to become best friends. Luckily, I have done this many times before. So when you get this message, call me back. <laughs> we can talk about how to become best friends. And then I started going off on all this other stuff. Like, and by the way, like I was able to like get my keys out that were stuck in the ignition. Thank you for that. You know, like just all this random other shit. Hmm. Did you ever see that? <laughs> I, that I, my question. <laughs> I I vaguely remember uh, something about that. Yeah, I don't I don't I can't say that if you scroll back and you would find me under the likes on that or not. Um, yeah, it no, might have okay. been might have been a little obscure for me um, at the time, but. But yeah, that's the the neat thing about failure to stop is you know being able to go from listening to contributing and um, them engaging with people, and then getting to do stuff like this. It's it's that's a pretty cool experience. It is, but you're getting shortchanged though because Eric refuses to acknowledge your existence. Like he's even <laughs> like, there's a correction show with John and a disembodied AI voice, and it's just like, <laughs> no, it's like. And it's just because corrections isn't his thing. I don't know if you heard on the Friday show the other day, he actually said that uh, there's certain things you can do to be punished as a police officer. And he tried to imply that Drew's punishment was winding up in dispatch. And I was like, hey, Eric, that wasn't nice. Like, you know, we're a whole separate job. We're not, we're not, right. we're not like a failed police officer. Someone, someone in a Instagram once tried to say like, I was a loser because I, I couldn't make the force. I'm like, I never fucking applied for the force, dude. Like, I never. <laughs> and it's like, you want to make fun of me? Because I can't, I can't, I can't make it on the force. I'm doing sarcastic finger quotes here because mm. I could be a policeman anywhere in the world. <laughs> but, but like, the whole thing was about how he's, he's had so many personal encounters with racist police officers. I'm like, you obviously are a criminal if you're like having <laughs> frequent encounters with the police to refer to, racist or otherwise. So it's like, you think I couldn't make it on the police force? You think I could hack it? Like, you can't even apply. They would run your background check and just throw your application in the trash. So don't even start with me, pal. Yeah, anyway, no. it's really neither here nor there. It has nothing to do with hard time. I was once a correction officer, and you are now as well. So speaking of prisons, did you want me to just play a clip so I stopped talking? Or did you want to talk about what you want to talk about? Or, you know, this yeah. can kind of take the lead on this one, my underpaid friend. You, you, there's the underpaid producer, then there's the underpaid, non-existent, unofficial, undocumented host, which is you. You're <laughs> well, undocumented. They don't know your name. They don't. I pay you. you they don't even pay you. So that, That's how I get to make the sandwiches, because I'm undocumented. It gives me legitimacy. Uh, yeah, go ahead and play a, a news clip so we can get into this Huntsville case, and then we can talk a little bit about our personal experiences with fire, because... Yes. Yeah. So this episode's about fire and prison, so we are not... There's no dead leg. There's no keef. They have their own thing. I it's did their us. show. It's just us. And and uh, 
and Jake, I hope you'll, you're willing to talk about some of the training that you had. And I'll get serious about it for a little bit. Anyway, so there was a fire in a Texas prison, Huntsville prison, which is a famous, famous prison in Texas. It's been around for almost 200 years. It's where they execute people in Texas, although I'm sure that they do it in more than one location. You know, when you're killing as many people as Texas is, and, uh, lethal <laughs> ejection franchises are always a good idea. You don't want to have a line, you know. It's right. never a good look to the other states when you have people waiting in line to get executed. They're it's kind of like we the walmart of executing people well yeah well you, you don't want to be a uh, mcdonald's across from a chick-fil-a where chick-fil-a's line is five <laughs> times as long but like you know everyone's getting through okay and meanwhile mm -hmm. your mcdouble is you know one patty short anyway so this is uh from the news this is from um n-e-w-s <laughs> the news in texas i'll go ahead and play it Good afternoon, I'm Sharon Minchow. We have learned that hundreds of inmates will be moved from the Walls Prison Unit in Huntsville after a fire broke out there this morning. Aragochi Iloka has been at the prison since this morning. She joins us now live with an update from there. And Ugochi, when are these inmates going to be moved? Hey, Sherman, this afternoon, TDCJ says 400 out of the more than 650 inmates that were evacuated from the Huntsville prison will be transferred to their 100 units across the state that have bed space. This comes after a fire sparked uh, this morning at their West building, really damaging it. This is where a lot of those inmates that were evacuated were housed. Take a look at your screen. This is bird's eye view of the walls unit, uh, where we do know this is where inmates were uh, uh, prisoners, excuse me, were executed. Now, the this is where, you know, we know the officials say this is where th this fire started more than 10 hours ago in the attics of the admin and West Building portion of the actual prison. Thankfully, no inmates were, or staff were hurt in this. Fire crews have managed to contain the fire, but are still watching for hot spots, which has been challenging because they say this building is more than a century old, this facility, and that makes it really hard to get to some of those spots ceiling coverings and the tile that's on the roof and things of that nature just it's just tough to get to where we need to be for loved ones that are looking to know where their uh, their family members have moved to uh, once they've moved uh, our online website uh, inmate portal will be updated Yeah, and TDCJ also says that this weekend visitation is canceled, so loved ones will not be able to visit anyone at this specific prison just for this weekend as they sort things out because of this fire. Uh, we also know that the fire marshal is here on site still investigating what exactly caused it. Reporting live in Huntsville, Ugochi Iloka, KHOU 11 News. Sherman? All right, Ugochi, thank you. And another. Thank you, Ugochi. Thank you. Uh, there's a couple things to break down there. Uh, number one, what's the difference between prisoner and inmate? She corrected herself. Uh, the inmates are prisoners rather. Isn't prisoners worth worse than inmates? Cause you can be an inmate of like, uh, any place where there's like inpatient care. You can be an inmate of mm. a hospital, you know? So I think calling them prisoners is like a little bit meaner, you know? Yeah. Well, and there's a locally here, there's a, uh, that verbiage changing, you know, it's it's similar to pronouns and stuff where they don't want us to use the P word or the I word. They want to refer to them as residents or um, uh, there's another word. I usually use residents because it's acceptable vernacular for reports and stuff, but um, resident or 
uh, juvenile in if I'm working at the one facility. I actually got um, invited to go work at the remaining facility I haven't worked at locally. Um, I didn't this week, but maybe next month, um, which is interesting, just trying to learn some different things working at the different facilities within our organization. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what they prefer to be called. Um, if it, if it even matters to people like that, I mean, do you have, if you're, like you said, if you're in the system over and over and over and over again, um, that kind of tells us what kind of person you are, you know, people make mistakes, they go to jail, you know, they spend the night or maybe a short amount of time in jail usually, and they're able to leave because there's not really harsh penalties usually for first timers. So I don't know what the, what the exact vernacular is. What was your other, you said your other point to break down on that? Well, I have a counterpoint if I may. Sure. I don't interrupt you anymore. First of all, (laughs) number two. (laughs) That just started for the listeners, just so you know. (laughs) Texted me, you son of a bitch. It's just a John show, isn't it? No, I will continue probably to interrupt you. Um, I guess to me, you know, words mean something in society. You know, we've talked about that for years, person first language and pronouns, like you mentioned. Why do we care what they're called? Like, uh, to me, this harkens back to something you and I talk about a lot and how it's we care about the inmates. We're here to protect the inmates. Mm. We're here to take care of the inmates. Yes. What about their victims? Like, do, do we still call them victims? Like, do they have a preferred thing that they want to be called? We don't even ask them, you know, and not that yeah. they would want to be called anything. Maybe some of them wouldn't want to be referred to as victims. I could see that. So, joke, just to keep it light. I remember one time I was uh, standing at a cell front with an inmate and I was getting on the radio and I was trying to call his door open from the control room. And the control room was busy back up. We weren't able to open the door. Some kind of a couple times, and, you know, and I would call the control room, control room, you know, 236 or whatever and they would cycle the door and it would open and i would put the inmate in and close the door so it's kind of kind of annoying kind of embarrassing because i have to stand here with this guy because he won't lock up that so i'm having to wait and i said something to him about just being an inmate and i wasn't i wasn't rude or confrontational or anything it's just like you know inmate you know whatever and i didn't call him inmate. i didn't say you know i've seen this in movies and tv shows inmate smith you will stay behind the yellow lines like we don't mm. use inmate to directly address them inmates their status so it's like they don't call me officer they just call me bates and i don't call them inmate i'll just call them rodriguez or whatever mm. we have titles but we don't use them in direct address because we see them there every day that's like i wouldn't say that it's like more personal but it's like you know we're not we're not saluting in other words but anyway yeah. so 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 he goes yeah you know he's like you know i'm not an inmate i'm like you're not <laughs> you know kind of just like what he goes i'm a convict convict <laughs> and i said oh your pants say inmate on them <laughs> <laughs> you know because kind of but kind of being a smart ass is like you can call yourself right. a convict but your shirt and your pants say inmate <laughs> so and it's it says doc it does mean doctor no, it's not, it's not corrections. <laughs> but uh, but to, to the, the point, I guess, like they, they didn't like the identity of inmate. They had mm. preferred the identity of convict, meaning which means, strictly speaking, they don't live here. But a jury did decide they were guilty. So mm. not both of those are true. <laughs> you know, one of them is which, you know, if he's a convict, I get, does that mean that he literally was convicted and he didn't plea? 
because you're still convicted when you plead. So I just mm. I, and, and and maybe it's just a different word where they're still accepting like their status. You know, they're not saying, you know, I'm a free person. I identify as free. It wasn't that nuts or anything. Um, no, but it's just weird that they had some different idea of what they should be called. And this reporter, she goes, oh, they're not inmates. They're prisoners. I'm like, well, that's I wouldn't want to be called prisoner. I'd rather be called inmate than prisoner. You know, to me, that's weird. Um, other points. So it's really old prison. 200 years old the fire was in the attic the mere idea that a prison has an attic you know somewhere where they're storing like the old you know boxes of christmas decorations or whatever's up there mm-hmm. a little funny to me but yeah keith would say you know you'd have to get in there in a thermal camera you have to be looking around uh she's called just called it a bird's eye view and i guess to me i always picture birds as looking directly down i don't think that they would gaze longly you know across the horizon there was a ladder truck pouring water on top of the roof. The damage looked did look pretty substantial. I was mm. surprised that Huntsville only houses 600 because, like, the facility where I'm from, you know, ho- you know, we had two facilities that are combined. You, you've heard that before. But our combined inmate count was twice that. So, like, 600 doesn't seem like a lot. Well, and over it's, 100 it other like facilities it, to transfer them to. Go ahead. It's just that that particular walls unit that has 600 because they said it's actually like 1600 or okay. 1700 total um, is what the, the jail is able to accommodate. But um, but yeah, 600 had to be transferred. So what kind of a kind of mess would that be? Can you imagine getting the call as a sergeant saying we need to we need to transfer some 600 guys? oh man that means you're gonna have you're gonna bring everybody on duty you don't even have enough like restraints to transfer that many people at once vans back and forth probably most of the day maybe you would want to avoid transferring them at night it really depends on if the situation there at the walls unit is secure at all like if you can you know have continuity of operations while you evacuate them like there's no risk of escapes but it's like they don't have living facilities i know at one point they've said they were they were rehoused in the gym or something yeah so it really depends but that's a fuckload of work and then like let's not forget folks gang we're doing counts every two-ish hours if you're a good facility you're doing them you know like on a on a a eight-hour shift you're doing at least three a day hopefully more particularly during daytime operations can you imagine like the pain in the ass that the count has to be? I assume that like they just set up a uh, a remote location and as they're being transferred, hopefully you have control room people who are diligently doing that. But like you just hate the idea of losing an inmate because like they're they're spider the Spider-Man crawling over the side of the wall, but like now you're losing inmates just at a clerical error. Like that's irritating, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at that uh, not bird's eye view of the jail. Um, you know, they call it the walls unit. It's just brick walls and it has like, a, uh, what do you call it? Like the terracotta tile roof. Um, it actually reminded me, I just recently I watched an episode or two of the show like Shantaram and it's like, I think it's Shantaram. It's about, it's an Apple series about uh, an inmate that escapes and he gets into this adjacent like office building kind of like this looks like and cuts a hole through the roof and then climbs down outside the walls um so that's what it reminded me of looking at it what what kind of shocked me is that that unit if they say it damaged part of um the administration is the is the administration like where that building meets another building and that's why it damaged administration or 
are there some inmates housed in the administration? Because that would be very odd to have inmates housed anywhere near a section of the jail where personnel can kind of freely come and go. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't look uh, like that would be a super secure place to keep inmates. So hopefully it's minimum security at least. I don't think it's minimum. I don't think Huntsville's minimum, but I don't know. Uh, for our facility, you had to uh, leave through the main sally port, and then before you were outside, you would go through the sally port, and then once you're on the other side, there's stairs that go upstairs into a six-story building, you know, where you have the officer's mess on floor two, um, some command staff rooms on floor... Gosh, I don't even remember it was on floor three. All right. Uh, anyway, stuff was on floor four. There was a, offices on floor four. Floor five was the officer's briefing room and HR. And so it's like that. So you're outside the perimeter technically, but it's like you're physically adjoined to the structure. So if you had a fire there, could technically pose a risk to the rest of it. We also had captain's row, which was inside the perimeter. So you would enter through the sally port. You would go through an area where you could go left to go to this wing, go right to go to this wing, go straight to go into the, to the dining hall kind of go off 45 degrees to your right and you're going up to the kitchen you go in the kitchen you walk through the kitchen and then uh you can either go to an elevator or you can go through this other door that goes to captain's row and outside of the rec yard and it's so the captains have administrative offices that are inside where the prisoners are and uh to be honest with you captain's row extremely haunted you know, so many people have had bad deaths at the prison there, whether we executed them or they died uh, as a result of violence or even died peaceably because they are bad men. We had a captain that would not go back there because he, he saw ghosts. So I don't know if the ghosts affect fire. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get how that works. Like uh, you would think like if a ghost. Well, the know, ectoplasma they, might be difficult to burn. I don't know. Well, like if a see, so like, you have poltergeists that can affect objects, right? So, like, they could close doors. Um, they have some sort of physical interaction. The thing is about Newtonian science is the door swings both ways. So, if you've got a poltergeist that can close a door, that means it can it can exert a force through a space, which is the scientific definition of work. So, if it can do that, then work can be exerted upon by that poltergeist. So, what's the primary force that would probably be exerted on this poltergeist i'm thinking gravity so i don't think a prison can be haunted i think the the i think the nickel core of the earth is where all the ghosts are i think they just get sucked down to the center of the earth so earth is haunted i don't know i just watched 13 ghosts so <laughs> they can they can be like they can be put into little chambers and then a house and as long as you have spells on the windows uh they can't go anywhere so um, and also, if we get to uh, 300 Patreons and uh, a bunch of people follow us on Rumble, maybe John and I will spend the night in a haunted, abandoned prison. I know of one nearby. Uh, it's in the southwest. It's actually in Colorado. And uh, we'll, we'll spend the night there. And uh, you can listen to that episode. We'll live stream uh, any paranormal activity. I don't make that promise. I'm very, I think anything that you get in touch with that's otherworldly is all evil, and I'm not going to do that for fun. Also, <laughs> Jake's very far away from me. And, uh, but, you know, on the other hand, 300 Patreons is pretty far away from where we're at. We're sitting at like 110 right now. So thank you to the 110 people out there. Uh, some of which are just dummy accounts, I'm sure. You know, they're mine or whatever. Um, 
But uh, so getting these people moved from prison to these other facilities is a pain in the ass. I did know, I did want to note that we mentioned it earlier getting backed up the execution chamber at Huntsville is fully operational. Uh, ran a couple guys through this morning, went okay. So everything right. there is fine. Yep, for, those, no. for those worried that we're not getting a vengeance for the victims in Texas. So yeah, I no. know that uh, they have a, they actually, in all seriousness, do have a, still have an execution scheduled for next month that will not be uh, affected. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and no uh, death row inmates were um, burned alive in an untimely manner. They're okay. They, those they still those get guys. Yeah, yeah. They still have their appeals and their last meal to look forward to. I'm not sure where they're going to cook it, but. And their dental cleanings. That always drove me nuts. Mm. I mentioned on the show before that we had this one guy. We've He's gone now. He's dead now, thankfully. But uh, we had to, like, move him to the dentist to get his teeth cleaned. I'm like, we are, like, planning to murder him. Why do his teeth need to be clean? He's got pain or whatever. Like, I don't want to. We don't have to have him in pain, whatever. I would probably prefer him to be in pain. But, you know, because he killed that guy in that donut shop. But, you know, to me, it's just, like. Fuck your clean teeth. Brush your teeth. You want clean teeth. Other than that, no. Because because of course the state and the people all paid for that. It was there's no such thing as a free teeth cleaning people. Did you want me to play the other video? Or did you have more comments on this uh, thing going on in, in the the first video? Other than like uh, the uh, the wonderfully diverse newscast down there, it's um... a <laughs> uh, no. Go ahead and play the other video, and then we can. Uh... I say that, but there's, you know, people, people are named, but they're named. And if they're professionals, you know, who cares? But it's mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of guys that even play for the Cowboys that it's just like chubid obadobi. <laughs> it's just like, what's going on there? And it's, and it's, I don't care. I mean, the, one of our best players we ever had was a guy named uh, Dat Nguyen. He was like uh, the first uh, professional Vietnamese football player. And he was like a badass. He was huge. And mm -hmm. just a great player. Anyway, I don't know why I got onto that because it's like my name's dumb too. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and play the next video. Team 48, when a horse thief became the first inmate, thousands walked the halls within walls. The Huntsville unit is, is an icon, I, I guess is the best way to say that. The admin building obviously is the front here. Texas Prison Museum Director David Stacks was never assigned to the Walls unit, except when he helped with the prison's primary job, executing death row inmates. Having spent, uh, you know, 30 years with the prison system, it, it, uh, it affects you. It's like uh, uh, one, of your, one of your friends are getting attacked or getting, uh, having a serious injury. He was relieved to hear nobody was hurt in a fire that began early Friday morning. The Texas Board of Criminal Justice providing an update during its meeting. We were able to move inmates that were in the housing areas closest into the gymnasium. Uh, those inmates ultimately will be transferred to other facilities. TDCJ tells me that three officers are assigned per vehicle and high-risk inmates are transported alone. It's unclear if any of the 650 inmates displaced due to the fire are high-risk and it's unclear when they can come back. There'll be some inmates over there that'll be very upset that they got displaced because that is their home, and it would be no different than you and I losing our home by fire and having to relocate. So that's a pretty good point. I know the inmates generally did not like moving. Uh, you know, if they, if they got a new cell assignment or 
if they went down to the hole and they knew when they got back that you know their room was up for grabs a lot of them didn't like that there were definitely cells that were prime real estate there was actually a whole cell block where we generally kept the old timers the guys that didn't raise hell the guys that held down jobs and we all kind of clustered them in this one area that was uh you know it was the tiers it was a high rise it was the old federal penitentiary and uh that was kind of like a desired real estate particularly like if you went to this one side like everyone on that whole side is quiet and doesn't fuck around so it's like if you just want to do your time and like die in prison and not have to deal with any shit, like that's there you want to be in hmm. and so you know when you when you would have a reason to move them they would actually get very very mad about that so i imagine there's quite a few inmates who are mad that their shit was packed up probably by a third party and thrown in a in a truck and they're going to open up open up their property boxes somewhere else and see a little inventory on it and they're all going to complain that they're all missing shit and uh, or or something's going to be wet because it was destroyed by something's wet or yeah they'll claim yeah. that whether or not that that's true um so i mean that, that's a huge pain for those officers down there i mean yes you feel for the the inmates to the extent like i guess that the law requires you to but this is a huge pain for uh, the Department of Public Safety. That's a huge pain for the officers down there. It's a huge pain for even the admin, who I normally don't really care that much about. It's a huge pain for all of them, and it's it's a logistical nightmare. I was glad to see that uh, they were having three officers in a vehicle. The high risk guys were going alone. There's pretty much no way I, that there's not high risk people there because yeah. people could be on high risk status temporarily. Like if they're just getting in trouble a lot right now, they're in an active phase. Like. If you want to make it about a mental illness thing, like sometimes people will go through a phase of, you know, recurring mania or things like that, where they're just in terms of their bad behavior, they're in a very active phase. And then later, you know, they'll be in an unactive phase. And sometimes these things are even predictable. Like if they're, it's, you know, if it's the time of year that the crime was committed or, you know, if they have a relationship with their victim or a family member that's passed away, like they'll they'll go through predictable seasons of depression, be it times prior or suicide mm. risk. So a lot of times there's like ebb and flow to inmate behavior. And when you get to yeah. know someone who's been in for a long time, you can predict those things. But yeah, everyone's going to be kind of irritated and pissed about this. And they're not going to they're not going to like having to meet new people. You know, probably the, the biggest thing, if I could sum it up and you would probably like me to just say that is that inmates have no control over their lives and it's the greatest source of frustration. So the only way that they can cope with that, the only way that they can wake up every day and deal with the fact that they're an adult who can't decide pretty much anything for themselves is really knowing what to expect. They have a set schedule. There's a time to wake up. There's a time every count is. There's a time every meal is. And so it can help you with your anger, frustration, and anxiety if you're sticking to a schedule, if you know when lunch is going to be, if you know when you're going to be rung out. When you get behind in a schedule, that's when all the inmates get upset, when they start to act out, like in great numbers. And right now, like uh, the officers themselves are not able to really tell them anything because a lot of things are really contingent. You know, like if hopefully they say, you know, visits are canceled for this weekend. Well, what if like the damage is more severe and like uh, the relocating back to this walls unit of Huntsville? What if that's like takes longer and what if they get relocated here, but the visit room is completely destroyed. So it takes longer to have visits back. Like hmm. um, if they don't know what to expect or if they're told one thing and then later it changes, it, it, it'll cause a lot of consternation and it'll cause a lot of problems. And it's not a leap to say that that'll cause a lot of violence I'm, I'm guessing that there's actually that there's quite a bit of danger going on with these guys down there right now having them moved having the uncertainty having the break from the routine it's all very stressful for both uh, the the inmates and the officers and uh hopefully that they get through that okay it's you know there's really no choice but to to deal with it but certainly for the officers 
concerned about them, worried about them. Hopefully that they're safe, Jake. Yeah, and uh, from that um, footage, you were able. I was able to see a little bit better. It does look like there's a main, um, a main building that kind of goes like, say it was north to south, and then like there's like an east and west wing. So I'm assuming the walls unit was one of those wings, and that's why um, some of the central unit, um, uh, central part of the building, I imagine, is probably. Um, the administration so it's it says here too in the article that in 2021 the file fire marshal noted most of the unit's fire alarm systems weren't um functioning property properly um so there's no they were also uh they were using steam kettles used as fryers i don't know if that's inmates or staff it's inmates they're using yeah. hot pots for unapproved purposes now <laughs> yeah you're laughing but i've seen that all the time oh yeah uh, them using uh their hot pots for they used to cook ramen primarily but i mean also there's coffee um and mint tea and uh sometimes they use it to, to make water hot to throw on officers faces or sometimes they cut the cords off in order to shock officers mm -hmm. but that's a discipline thing where you're walking on the unit anytime you see something that's been issued by the prison and it's being used for a non non-approved purpose it becomes contraband at that point so if you see tea kettles that are being used for other things it's very very easy so easy it's the easiest thing in the world not to make a big deal out of it and just say like man you know you're not supposed to do that right yeah yeah i know co and then they unplug it and then like you know you walk away and then they keep doing it hmm. you know you to and to really attack that you have to be a conscientious officer yes but you also have to be a bit of a prick to stop the inmates from using something that they've been issued through the commissary or through however however properties given to them through the the department um you know when, when you're an inmate you don't just get you don't get an, an appliance from sears like it comes to you through a very low bidding you know like uh, mm. not even a good asian country is the ones putting these together it's not chinese it's, you know it's something terrible and it's very uh very low grade uh, appliances your coffee maker and all this these hot pots and i wouldn't be surprised if one something like this was uh, the reason why something uh, happened but well, you have to be—you have to be a real dick to them and say, "Don't use it for that," or I'm going to confiscate it as contraband, and they don't appreciate yeah. that. Go ahead. Well, and it's interesting because it says that their uh, space is up for about 1,700 inmates, which is almost the exact amount of violations they found. Um, but also, it says that they had no records of testing fire doors, dampeners, or standpipe systems. So they didn't have, over at least over the course of the last couple of years, they didn't have any sort of. Um, system in place to make sure that these things are tested so um you know there's like primary causes of fires that i've seen or um, dealt with in the course of my career it's either you know improper maintenance people aren't doing their checks or sometimes it's you know it's arson it's something that's set by a person um, we'll get into that a little bit more what um our my facility does uh some things to try to try at least to stay within fire code and have this stuff up to date i have a recent fairly recent example that was a little extreme uh, with regards to fire luckily it wasn't anything as serious as in huntsville but um just from a sergeant's perspective dealing with like a fire alarm that's not like a um, fire drill or anything is um 
I wouldn't say terrifying, but it is, it definitely ratchets up the anxiety and means I'm going to have a long list of things to try to do to finish out my shift to try not to hand a complete clusterfuck mess over to the oncoming sergeant. So would be, we're talking about some of the safety concerns that go on in prisons. Uh, why does that happen that you, uh, you know, Huntsville here, uh, there's quite a bit here documented about how fire exits aren't being checked, uh, fire suppression systems not being signed off on. Um, we can kind of go into that some detail here, but I wanted to mention some very specific things from the facility I worked at without doxing myself, although doxing is a grand and glorious FTS tradition. <laughs> we, uh, I, I'm going to read a little bit from an article. I'm going to have to kind of dart around through it to explain some of the explain some of the things I have to admit, but omit. Uh, at the prison I worked at, this is from an article from nearby here. Uh, we had a former employee leave the facility. And then uh, despite the fact that this 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 employee is actually kind of a piece of shit, uh, a very unethical and stupid person who was in my class as an officer who I dislike greatly, I guess just so you know, I have an axe to grind against him, but uh, this is what he has to say about it. He, he ended up working there for 12 years and he was talking about a fire that had occurred there just prior to him leaving. Uh, if you don't know this, some prisons, I don't know if Huntsville has this, but they have prison industry shops where they do the different things. You're probably aware of license plates. They make license plates in shops. Well, they also have like book binding and things like this and um, all kinds of different industries, just depending on what your local prison may be doing. Uh, they have contracts with the state. Like all the road signs are made at the prison where I worked for the entire state. If you ever see a sign that, you know, says the name of the street, that's where it was made at. Um, and so... There's a lot of different chemicals, a lot of different potentially hazardous materials in a prison. And when it's being run by a state where it's so much easier to just, like I said, almost going back to the complacency of when you're doing a round and you see an inmate doing something improper with a piece of uh, equipment they have, a coffee pot or a hot plate or whatever. It's so much easier to just sign off on a prison as being safe rather than interrupt the normal operations of it. We're talking about this fire and how they have to relocate all these inmates to hundred other facilities and having to move people, you know, three officers in a vehicle and high risk inmates. There's, there's a, a fuck ton of work that's going on here. And when you're someone that works for the prison and it's only to your disadvantage to point out something that's uh, catastrophically dangerous to the prison because you're making your boss look bad when you report that and you're making yourself look bad because it's like, how long has it been in this state? And you didn't notice it before you're doing this audit or whatever. And who, who gets the blame for this and how are you going to fix it? Because where's the money? He describes uh, the location of this fire having started in a lacquer spray booth. They were doing some maintenance work in there and something caught fire. It was a total accident, this uh, particular piece of shit officer said. According to release from the state, three penitentiary staff members were transported to a local hospital to be examined for possible smoke inhalation. They were probably okay. I don't know. That's really hard to tell from this. Preliminary information indicated the fire may have started in an exhaust van. A couple of other individuals who grabbed some, who a couple of other individuals who grabbed some fire extinguishers and put it out. There was no malicious intent there, wasn't it? Wasn't it started on purpose? This dumb officer who doesn't know how to speak English said, or this dumb agency reporting it doesn't know how to accurately report. In the process of fighting the fire, he made a discovery: personal protective equipment that we had was not sufficient. 
myself and an individual. Anytime you see someone using the word myself when they don't you know to use the word I, that's a dumb person. Police officers do this all the time. They say, myself and another unit, we're going to be out at the hot dog king. Just say I. Jake and I are going to hot dog king. You can use I. It's not unprofessional to say I. Sorry, that's a, a bit of a picadillo for me. Myself and an individual could not get that. They call it a hood, and we could not get that over our head, he said. So it's kind of scary when you don't have proper equipment. Dude, you are a fucking joke, okay? You have known this entire time. We all know that the firefighting equipment that we had there was a joke. The CPR equipment they gave us, the little uh, covers that we had to put over inmates' mouths to give them CPR, that stuff was all in disrepair. Even our, even our uniforms when you and I started were shitty, so don't act all like surprised now. On a day in that, during that summer, the governor, who was the governor at that time, visited the staff at the state penitentiary, and they had a media conference. The staff is being asked to do a lot, and they deserve better equipment, the governor said. We looked into the issue and the cause of the fires, and uh, we, we took on an, an investigative journey. The local fire department responded and said that they don't investigate fires in state buildings and the state fire marshal's office does, which also said they don't investigate fires at the state penitentiary. So the local fire department does not investigate fires there at the state penitentiary. The state fire marshal, who is a state employee, says he does not investigate fires at the state penitentiary. This is embarrassing. Everyone says, like, yeah, that's not my job to investigate that. We, uh, the news outlet was referred to the Bureau of Administration or something, and they were told to... Uh, they are also the Bureau of Administration, meaning just like uh, the paper pushes. They also don't investigate fires. <laughs> the department, they were referred back to the Department of Corrections. So basically, like your your deep, your deep state doesn't investigate. The DOC doesn't yeah. investigate. The state fire marshal does. That's his job is to investigate fires. And you're telling me he doesn't investigate fires there. How did he say I don't investigate fires there? <laughs> he investigates fires elsewhere, like any, anywhere where there's a fire fatality, like at a private residence, the state fire marshal goes. It, but you're going to tell me the state fire marshal doesn't go to investigate fire at a state facility or just state facilities that's not the penitentiary? I don't know. I know. It's like government hot potato. Yes. So much fun. So very hot. Um, <laughs> so in a follow-up to the original story, a battalion chief from the local fire department said the local fire department does and has investigated fires at this penitentiary <laughs> in just the past 12 months the local fire department has investigated two fires at the penitentiary so apparently they do investigate they said they don't but they investigate them all the time which just is not, not this one. <laughs> it's not concerning that we have multiple fires there to investigate both were accidental fires and both relatively small Reports for those fires and fires are sent to the state fire marshal's office as, as reported the National Fire Incident Reporting System. So it's like, so so after all this happened, they said they had to like everyone had to get their poop in a group. You know that was a conference call between all yeah. these people saying the news just said that none of us investigate fires, and they're all <laughs> like, well, who actually investigates it? And someone had to fall on their sword. Well, it's, and, it sounds... and apparently it was the local guys because, like, they can get away with that. Everyone loves the local fire department. Everyone cheers them at the parade. Go on. It it sounds like uh like Brick from uh Anchorman, just like, are are, are you here to invent investigate the the pants fire? <laughs> <laughs> There's a party for my pants. 
So it appears, uh, as the article goes on, it appears that the Department of Corrections investigates themselves. We asked if anyone at the DOC has specific training to investigate fires, such as the training that the fire marshal would have. We received no response. As this officer that I worked with hate, I hate him so much. As he begins the next chapter of his life, probably working at the meatpacking plant, <laughs> he, he hopes that there's an ongoing investigation and that it will be led by our fearless governor and that it will lead to more safety for those who work at the penitentiary. In a plot twist, he uh, since the DOC investigates himself, he was appointed to investigate the fire well, that he, he, he possibly said. <laughs> he only spoke out about it after it was over, which this right. is him clearly trying to get some kind of attention. You know, he knew he was going to say something. He was probably, he probably has an axe to grind as much as I wanted to grind against him. Uh, we'll continue to make sure that when we use the report and when it is finalized, which will never happen, <laughs> it's not just short-term fixes, but the Department of Corrections will make long-term reforms. <laughs> Long it will term. be impactful for those who choose to make this their career. Is there anyone that chooses to be a correction officer as a career anymore, Governor? I mean, I don't know. I don't even dislike you as a governor necessarily. Well, but come on now. well when they say long term, do they mean like long term as in time or long term as in it'll just be a really long report? You know, it's going to be a lot of words that ultimately mean nothing and nothing will change and there will be future fires. Yeah, I could go on reading this, but the point is, you know, TLDR, there's a huge fire. This former employee does this expose on into this like shabby news company. The news company's like, so who investigates this fire? And uh, the prison's like, well, we don't investigate it. The state fire marshal does. The fire marshal's like, oh, no, no, no. It's the, it's the Bureau of Administration. Bureau of Admin says, like, no, it's the Department of Corrections investigates themselves. And the DOC's like, oh, you, you're back to us again. It's the local fire department. The local fire department's like, well, yes, obviously, we, even though we said we didn't, we've investigated many fires there, all of which were fine. You know, as far as, as far as fires go, they were good fires. So, you know, really nothing here, nothing to see here. Um, yeah, no major sounds, conflagrations, this, just just pants fires. And yes, this sounds not important, but like when a prison's on fire, well, like let's talk a little bit about training. What is that like? Because you cannot. So when a school's on fire, you could open the doors. Everyone can run out like it's not mm -hmm. ideal, but kids have a rally point they go to. You can account for them. You hope that they don't just like leave and join a criminal gang and say, well, that's the school. <laughs> School's not a safe place for me to be. It's constantly catching on fire. Or when it's not, they're giving me anxiety inducing drills all the time and telling me to stop, drop and roll and all this. But when you're in a prison, you got to invest. You got to evacuate the building. And then where do they go? Tell me about uh, fire training you have there at your jail, and I'll discuss whatever I remember from my fire training. Take it from here. Well, so we have, like, preventative things, which, again, like you said, can be as simple as checking a box. We have once a week. Um, they're supposed to check and make sure that different things in the unit are in good repair. One of those things is um, the fire systems. We have regular fire drills um, and other types of drills and stuff that we do to try to make it so that people kind of have an idea. Um, that's like the most fun thing about my job sometimes is calling a drill and I'll try to get really creative with it and have someone else call it from a different area or something or wait till somebody's on their break and then make them run all the way to the far end of the facility and then say, oh, it's just a drill and they get really angry. Um, <laughs> but we have... 
those sorts of things to try to keep up on it. We actually have um, members of administration that are appointed just to make sure that that stuff's up to date. All of our stuff's up to fire code um, that we have, not only our state licensing and stuff that um, all of our equipment's in good repair, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things that we do to try to try to make it um, very simple and so that people should ideally know what to do <laughs> in uh, the case of a fire. Sometimes there are people who I call it and then they're still sitting there just watching TV. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but we had, um, we had the same thing with an officer down drill. I pulled the pin on a body alarm and you can hear the shrill alarm sound sounding all and nobody came running to save me. And I'm like, so, so then like uh, I'm laying on the ground and I've, I've got my, uh, you know, my body alarm squealing away. And this one person walks up and they're like, I wish you had said you were doing a drill. I'm like, why the fuck didn't you run over here? I'm only, I think you only pull the pin on a body alarm when I'm getting my ass kicked and you walked over here. I don't have to tell you it's a drill. I'm your sergeant. When, when you hear one of those, you come a running. Anyway, right. I'm sure it was the same thing with, with, with fires. <clears throat> when we were in the academy for correctional officering, we had to do drills in the classroom, which are going to be silly by any standard of even the volunteer firefighters are going to point and laugh at us. But we had to get used to you got to remember we're like fucking civilians like and the training they're going to give us to fight fires is not going to be comprehensive. Like we have mm -hmm. to be able to fight fires until the fire department gets there. So first activity was we had to uh, put on an SCBA self-contained breathing apparatus, which has pressurized air cylinders. It's not oxygen. You've got that going through a regulator and you have to learn how to turn on the regulator so that you get uh, air flowing. And it actually, it only, uh, the, the regulator makes it so that when you inhale and you create the negative pressure within the mask that fits over your eyes, nose, and mouth, when you create the negative pressure by inhaling, only then is a, a valve within the regulator open so the air comes pouring out of the tank and into your mask. So that's how that works. It fits completely over your face. That's why we were told we we're not allowed to have beards because then you wouldn't get a good, a good secure fit on your SCBA. If you if you do not have an airtight fit on your mask that fits over your face, the regulator will not work properly because you will you won't have you won't be able the to negative create negative pressure. air pressure inside mm -hmm. the air mask. The regulator won't open, and then you won't get any breathable air out of your tank. So what they did with us is they, uh, and I'll never forget this because like one of the fucking like food people wanted to do this too. And, and, and I'm just like, you realize in a fire, like I'm going to be the one dragging your flaming corpse out of here. You're not going to be dragging mine. There's no reason for you to practice because you don't even know where we keep the firefighting equipment. And frankly, I'm not going to tell you. She didn't even make it through the training. They said that she was not resist. She, that she, uh, she had failure to adapt or she was resistant to training or whatever. She didn't even make it. <laughs> but, uh, and we hated her so much particularly other people, because I try to be forgiving. But anyway, so they, we've got the masks, masks over our faces, over our eyes, nose, and mouth. And then we had to cover it in aluminum foil to uh, replicate an environment where we're, we're up in the tiers, the high elevations of the prison, and it's completely filled with smoke, so we can't see. And you have to, you have to crawl around. You're not walking around, you know, so that you can get below the smoke if possible, but also so that you don't tip and fall over. You have two officers. You crawl around on all fours. The they have a, an officer that goes first, who will search the the ground in the darkness for inmates. 
assuming assuming the prison's full of smoke and you can't see anyone you're going to be just searching around the second officer is uh his rescue officer and he goes behind him and is holding on essentially to his heel of the first officer as you crawl around and you'll search an area looking for people to evacuate them um we did a drill once we would do fire drills <clears throat> where we would open the door and evacuate everyone into the wreck yard we only did this in the summertime because here if we did that in the wintertime they would all die they would all freeze to death but the main reason we had to conduct fire drills, and I, I learned this when I was a sergeant, and I should have known this sooner, but I'm not really a thinker, is that you do fire drills to prove that, number one, whatever losses you sustain in an actual fire were not preventable. So you do a fire drill, and it takes you, let's just say, 69 minutes to clear out a certain cell block to make sure that it's empty. This is how long it takes two officers to do it. In ideal situation, you know, two officers are going together. It takes them this long to clear every cell. And when we would do this, we would have to go cell to cell to cell. You'd still find an inmate fucking sleeping, ignoring the drill. And you'd have to get him out of there and threaten to write him up and tell him he has to leave his cell and go outside. Get him out of there. Go down to the shower room. You complete the entire, you know, you complete the entire wing and it takes you 69 minutes. That is so uh, when you have an actual fire and it only takes you, you know, uh, 22 minutes to clear out um and you, you three inmates have died you could say well you know look at what our drills are like we performed above and beyond on this like our drills normally indicate that to to safely evacuate everyone from this unit it takes 69 minutes our brave officers today i'm very proud of them evacuated this unit in 22 minutes yes there was some loss of life but overall you know we did the best we could in accordance with our duties my men are professional they were quick uh, loss of life was somewhat unavoidable or whatever. You do this just so that you could say, what is your benchmark for what it's supposed to be? So that if you have a fire and you go in and you try to save people and it takes X amount of time and you lose X amount of people, you know, like I'm always a stat guy. You have to have something to prepare to compare it to, right? So are you above or below average compared to how long it takes you? So that's really all that it's for. And it's the same thing in a school, I'm sure, where you're not trying to beat some time. The principal comes out with a stopwatch and goes, very good, very good. He had no fucking idea how much, how long that would take. He's, he just is clocking it just so that he knows, you know, when there's an actual fire, uh, what it's supposed to be. And the insurance company obviously needs to know that information. So that's the reason why you do drills. It's all about, you know, minimizing your ability to be sued, saying hey, we do practice drills. We, we do take care. And this is what it looks like. And this is how we fared, you know that's all yeah and our drills are um uh, it's a fairly modern facility it's not nearly as old um as this huntsville or um the one you worked at so if there was any kind of major fire we're told just <clears throat> excuse me just um evacuate people like don't don't worry about fighting the fire if it's bigger than they give the example of um if it fits inside a trash can go ahead and try to fight it if you have because there's um fire extinguishers all over the place but if it's like in a trash can and it's like three or four feet taller than the trash can then just let it go like just just get people out um and we and, and that's the thing it's like because there's so many drills as a sergeant it's your goal to try to find out is this an actual emergency something that we would have to um, we would have to go to evacuate too. Again, we don't have 
Um, we can improvise if necessary. Um, inside we have a unit, usually one unit that's not being used. So we can move people after the fact, uh, the way things are kind of cloistered in the facility um, doesn't lend to like a huge fire that would destroy the entire place. And it's mostly concrete, steel beams, steel girders, you know, the roof could catch on fire or some insulation, I guess, but um, there isn't a whole lot um, that would realistically burn. So um, ours is a little bit different um, that way, but yeah, we, it's, it's more like a school where we tell everybody, okay, lock everyone down and then start once everybody's secure in their cells because they're sur surrounded by concrete. If you don't see anything, start calling out from your section, no smoke, no fire. And if you see something, let me know. So I know where, um, where things are happening, what's happening, and I can look into it and try to figure out, um, what the issue is. It's also a large complex. There's more than just our jail. Um, there's separate buildings, there's separate wings that other agencies use, um, and even like the courts and stuff. So if there's something going on in another area, um, again, it's our job to, to look into it and to try to coordinate, make sure people are going through the sections and checking. And then um, our systems are kind of closed. So like our, um, our sprinklers go off individually. It's not like in a, in a store or in a lot of facilities where one sprinkler goes off, everything goes off because they're worried about a big massive fire. We have a lot of um, shithead inmates um, that like to break a sprinkler just to be a shithead, just to cause a problem. Um, they refer to them as like water incidents or stuff. Sometimes they try to plug their toilets. So we have, and sinks. So we have ways to deal with that individually as well um so if there's something going on um i'm the only person that has a key um there's no administration there are no other people um available at night um i'm kind of an island it's just me so i have to get to wherever we're at wherever it is and then try to um figure out what the situation is so um but yeah, if we if we have time, I can get into a couple different situations that I've run into with those types of systems and stuff. But um, yeah, thankfully, we've never had any major fires. We've had some stuff that looks suspiciously a lot like a fire, um, but turned out to be very simple. And I was kind of irritated that it was um, fire department showed up basically for nothing because somebody lied to me. I was a little pissed off about that, but. We do have time. I remember being the shift commander at night, and uh, particularly when I was new at it, I remember just feeling a lot of a lot of burden of command, just knowing that I was it. I was the one that, that was there to make decisions, and um, if anything, I was always worried if something like that happening that I would react appropriately because the training for being a sergeant is really not as robust as you think, at least not where I work. And so you basically, uh, they have you become a sergeant because you're someone that can think on your feet and will figure out what the right thing to do is. It's not that there's not post orders or things to figure out or not people you can call, but, you know, until the duty officer gets there, until you're relieved, you're, you're it. Uh, so I was always worried about that. The only fire that we had that I recall while I was there was it was set by an inmate inside a cell. They had something that they, I think they threw it out a cuff port that they had taken hostage. Hmm. It was some kind of material, whether it was sheets, blankets, uh, pillow or something. 
I remember it left a pretty good scorch mark in the floor. And I remember thinking like, wow, I mean, that was impressive. Um, but we had a bunch of, when that happened, when that fire happened, um, I was actually in the chow, I was in the, uh, excuse me, the officer's mess. And uh, since I am to be relieved for 30 minutes of all duties, I did not respond to that right away. Uh, perhaps I should have, but I was, you know, I was hungry. And where I worked, you actually had to like walk uphill a long ways to get to a, the officer's mess. I'm like, when I'm done eating, I can run downhill. It'll be easier getting back. So I didn't respond right away. But uh, why don't why don't you go ahead and share whatever those fire incidents were? I say, you know, go ahead and shoot your hose on it. <laughs> well, uh, we've had, like I said in the past, a lot of times of people breaking sprinklers, things like that going off. Um, and it's a large complex. It's just um, our facility that I'm responsible for at night is about you can be about a little over a quarter mile away from the other corner of the facility. And then there's another one that's down the road. And then there's another one I haven't worked at yet. That's um, related to us, but is a different, um, different facility. So um, like I said, it's kind of weird when you, you have weird feeling when you hear an alarm go off and you're like, okay, shit. First of all, I got to run over there to find it at the far end of the complex and then the first thought so so i start running to this other building it's almost a quarter mile away so i'm like okay i'm glad i'm keeping up somewhat on my cardiovascular health um so i'm able to get there without being completely out of breath and there's another um entity that is renting facilities there that they use for something similar but not the same so it's an unsecure facility that's uh, a building that the same organization owns. And I asked them, I said, the first thing I said was, hey, was anybody cooking anything as I'm running up to the front doors of the building? And they said, no. And I said, okay, shit, this might actually be something real. It's either a fault in the fire system and somebody's going to have to come out and check it, or there is an actual fucking fire, which is, you know, less than ideal. So I go in there, um, there's a lot of smoke. I'm able to see that uh, everyone's outside the building already. I called, I went through to some of the back areas and started looking and I head back to the front where the alarm system is and there's a lot of smoke in there. It smells very chemically. I don't have a very good sense of smell. Um, my nose has been broken many, many, many times. Um, so I can't smell things very well, but I could tell there's this odd smell and a lot of smoke so um i'm like trying to figure out what it is and i'm like it could still be something small but um i hear that the fire alarm is going off in the main building before i'm able to completely clear this building and find out what the issue is so i called the control officer over the radio and said i'm not sure what it is tell them it's in this area and call the fire department because I'm coming over there to check on what's going on. So I've never heard of in our facilities history, um, two almost simultaneous alarms. Um, they were actually within, um, five minutes of each other, completely unrelated, but, uh, it's very, very stressful. So I run back to the main building, have everybody locked down, start looking through and stuff, told everybody, um, that was locked down, had somebody go start doing walkthroughs through the facility, somebody else to check for fire. And I find out that somebody just broke a sprinkler and there's 
um, one area of the prison or jail that there's just a large amount of water building up. <laughs> and if you have a big steel door and all your walls are concrete and sealed and you have water coming in from the ceiling, it doesn't take very long to fill up, uh, you know, six by 10 room, six by nine, whatever they are, eight by 10. Um, it's not a very large cell. Um, so they asked me, uh, should we roll this person out? And I said, no, because <laughs> they've created this situation. They've covered themselves now in very dark, uh, nasty smelling water. And that's just going to let more water out onto the floor. You know, I said, if it gets up to their hips or whatever, then yeah, go ahead and let them out. But otherwise, um, let them sit in there. So I said, the fire department's already on their way. And people were like, the fire department? And I'm like, yes, because there's a fire over at the other building <laughs> or something very similar to a fire, at least. So I have to run to the back of the building um, and actually like turn the water mains off so that it cuts off the water to the fire system. And then you have to purge the system so that it doesn't explode. So um, I got done with that. Finally got that the part's water. That very important. Yeah. Make sure you do uh, for the love of God, whatever you do, <laughs> make sure you're purging the system. Had, so, had it ever occurred to you that you might have to get to a, like a point, you know, the army calls it broken arrow. <laughs> Star Trek three, right. you know, they were getting boarded by the Klingons. Well, you just have to blow up the damn ship. Has it ever occurred to you? Like, you know, if we ever, we lose the prison, um, you know, these guys are going to get out at, you know, this, and again, it's harder for you, but if you work to the state facility like me, it would occur to you, like none of these guys are allowed to leave. We're allowed to use terminal force to stop every one of them from leaving. I would set, I would set that thing to pressure up as much as possible. I would break off the handle so that the pressure could not be safely released. I would either, you know, if I'm an officer, I'm going to get the hell out of there. If I'm a sergeant, I'm going to just sit there and sweat and look at it as the, as the pressure gauge is all pegged until it just fucking explodes. And I save the state from all those inmates getting out, even though apparently, according to this news article, they have loved ones. That was something that was new to me. I didn't know that. I didn't know that prisoners had loved ones. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, um, I know they had loved ones. Uh, some of them did. When I was an overnight control pod officer, though, sometimes when it was like three in the morning, I would get on the PA, mm. and you would use the PA to say, you know, like, in you know, Rodriguez, uh, go go to the counselor's office, or Dominguez, you, you, it's time to go to sick call, you know, and you would you would announce that. I would get on there and I would get very 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 quiet, and I can't do it on the podcast because then you won't be able to hear me. But I would get on there, and I would get to the microphone, and I would be very quiet, and I would say. They've forgotten you. They've forgotten you. Your loved ones are gone. Your wives are fucking your friends. It's over. You know, so I would kind of incept their dreams a little bit, like what happened to <laughs> happen to you. You know, you have bad dreams. And, yeah, it would make their it would make their naps fail, just to kind yeah. of circle around. But anyway, so you would not allow the jail to explode. Go on. <laughs> Well, and our uh, local fire department isn't very far away. So by the time I finally got the pressure release valves and I could see that it was flowing out, which took a little while because I haven't messed with this. It's been almost at this point, about two and a half years since I went through my um, 30 minute walk of the facility with this outgoing sergeant to know where their stuff is. And uh, 
got that figured out. And then I said, the fire department's here. So I go up to the front of the uh, other building, run up to the front of the building again. Well, it was a brisk walk at this point and uh, started looking with them. And turns out that it was popcorn in the microwave that was burnt to a crisp that set the alarms off. So I was God able to damn it. Is a 911 dispatcher that makes me so angry. Do you have any idea how often I'm sending fire departments yeah. to old folks' homes, to high schools, to wherevers? It seems like every place that invests in a fire alarm also invests in like not having people that can microwave popcorn. And I don't know why. <laughs> It's like, I don't it's know like, either. It's like uh, we got the fire fire alarms up and running, Principal Valiant. They're like, okay, now now that I have all the teachers here, just you know, this is the code, and also make sure that you can't fucking cook popcorn. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, I have no idea how to do that. Even the science teachers, just like, how do microwaves even work? And then like that situation's fine. <laughs> well, and I was uh, pissed off about it because I asked them specifically, was anybody cooking anything there's a break room for uh staff members and there's also their little like kitchen area it's like a satellite kitchen like it doesn't have full kitchen equipment but there is microwave and toasters and sometimes they have you know hot plates or whatever back there i'm like was anybody cooking anything that was literally the first thing out of my mouth because i've been there done that seen it before and if i had more than the three minutes i was allowed before the other fire alarm went off, I probably would have found it and skipped everyone a trip all the way down there in full kit to fight a bag of popcorn, which I could have done myself. I could have carried it outside and everything would have been Frankly, okay. if I get all dressed up to fight a bag of popcorn, I'm going to fucking fight it. <laughs> yeah. So then I told them, uh, hey, uh, I've got this system here on the back because we had another fire alarm, which turns out to also not be a fire almost simultaneously. Like, would you like to come take a look to make sure that I am, I did this properly because it's been a long time. So they graciously followed me up there, assured me nothing was going to blow up. And uh, that ended up being a very, very long night of paperwork cleaning up um, water and stuff. Luckily my boots didn't get like completely soaked, but I was in there with squeegees and, um, doing laundry and helping out clean up, um, the big mess. It happened in an area that's good because it's, there is a drain nearby and we have kind of, we know this happens. So we kind of have a drill. Unfortunately, some of the officers that are a little more seasoned should have known what to do and didn't. So we had a bunch of rookies in there trying to figure it out and they actually did a pretty decent job. So, um, but yeah, if, if we were ever had to make the call to actually evacuate, we would um, at least initially have to leave the facility and go out to the rec yard. And there's like different areas where people would stand and wait. Um, so they would be in a rec yard in a Sally port still secure, um, but they would be outside the facility. And then most likely, yeah, we'd have to take them to dining room or classroom, something like that in, in the case that there was an actual fire. But to this day, um, I talked to admin about it afterwards and stuff. Cause I was trying to call them as this was going on to let them know any major incident I'm supposed to call. And I did several times. Um, I didn't get any immediate answers by the time I figured it out. I already had um, maintenance on the way. 
we learned a lot about how to uh, replace sprinklers and to hold buckets up so you don't get douched with um, water. I, I was very wet that day in more ways than one. None of the fun ways. Um, but yeah, luckily there fun was. Uh, <laughs> it's it's one of those it's one of those um, biological things that you don't understand, John. It's okay. Um, Thank God. <laughs> But yes, that's my experience with uh, not fighting fires, but uh, wanting to fight idiots that make the fire alarm go off. We we would have broken sprinklers and stuff and overflowing toilets, but you know, I just again, just like how I didn't have a whole lot of incidents of like disemboweling or gross sex activities, I've, somehow I just led a charmed corrections life. So I don't have any. I don't have really have any more firefighting stories other than just like I remember the training and. Hoping I would never have to go through that. I did do one drill once where I cleared out the entire cell hall with another officer, and uh, I ran out of air, and he left me behind, which wasn't a good feeling. So <laughs> I, I told somebody that he did that, and nobody cared. So I don't, I don't know if anyone you ever told shout him. Broken arrow, or uh... <laughs> I tried. You know, it was just a drill. So we, and I, you know, I was in the shower room, and, and I at that point I could open both the valves and like just breathe blood you know like uh do you remember uh the nuclear chamber in uh the dark night rises <laughs> yeah. like you could flood it it was exactly the same thing i had the keys and everything i didn't do it i should have because then uh, i wouldn't be alive today any other any other closing thoughts i have a few closing thoughts if you don't mind that are more serious no go ahead i guess i'll just say this you know on failure to stop we talk about uh entertaining and informing first responders Something I always thought, but maybe I never articulated well on this show, is that correctional officers are really the ultimate first responder. Yes, we refer to them as the forgotten police officer. They're inside the walls. They're uh, enforcing enforcing the law, enforcing the rules of the institution. They're investigating crimes, uh, dealing with the suspects, dealing with the victims of crimes inside the walls. We're also dealing with like emergent medical things. Inmates get hurt. Inmates break their legs. Inmates get assaulted. Inmates bleed. Inmates stop breathing. Correction officers, the first ones called upon to respond to emergency medical situations because they're there. They have to be trained to know how to do it. They're responsible for it, but also outside resources like your local fire departments. First of all, they may claim that they don't respond to incidents inside the prison, but, but they... it, take, it takes them forever to get inside. Hmm. And so the, your, your correction officer has to be a good police officer, enforce the rules, do it with all out a gun, without a gun. He has to be an EMT. He has to be the first person to respond there to re- perform first aid for an inmate who needs it, whether that's uh, securing a, a joint that's been dislocated or putting pressure on a wound or whatever. But this is something we, you know, without this episode, we probably would have never talked about is that correctional officers have to be firefighters, too. When fires break out in these old facilities, when they break out because incidents of arson take place, the first person to respond is the correctional officer. And they're not they're not as well trained or well equipped as the volunteer professional firefighters in our communities. But we're tasked with that nonetheless. If there's a if there's a unit that's billowing smoke, we we cannot run the other way. We have to run into that as well. Uh, just like the intro says, you know, we put on our uniforms and we run towards danger while others run away from it. And so in that sense, correctional officers are the ultimate first responders. And that's something that I don't think anyone else ever says. And I don't think it's anything that uh, correctional officers will ever get credit for. So you'll get it here on Failure to Stop Hard Time. And I guess I just wanted to say thank you to correctional officers for 
not only being the forgotten cops, but for being the forgotten EMT and the forgotten firefighter as well, Jake. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, um, a unique job where, yeah, whatever happens, you're called on and there's not always a lot of equipment, a lot of training. Um, there's some training that we're right now talking about instead of like biannually making sure that it's done quarterly so that, um, we're in a good position and it's it's an interesting job too because you really have to deal with whoever you have on staff i mean we have some people on staff you know i call them the space cadets like they have no fucking idea what's going on and sometimes that's the only person you have so you have to try to motivate them to get something done and say hey whether you believe it or not you have to look them in the eye and say you can do this do this and then do that <laughs> and um but not to minimize the the large number of corrections officers that we have that are very competent and that rise to the occasion and that I uh, rely on every day when multiple things happen at the same time, like that incident um, that I referred to that one night that I had two separate alarms on two separate parts of the facility. I had a very distinct and separate job I had to do to shut off water, to uh, let authorities in to show them where things are. And, um, I was not on immediate cleanup. I was not on immediate, like take care of the situation. I had to go do things that they didn't see that possibly don't even know exist. Um, but we had a lot of good staff on that were able to fill those gaps and figure things out. So, um, yeah, it is a unique job, a unique position. And, um, yeah, they're asked to do a lot with very little. For sure. We love you guys, you correctional officers, you crazy bunch of maladjusted drunks. That's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Uh, but you guys are laughing at it, hopefully. All right. Uh, I think that's it for this episode, Jake. If uh, you wanted to take us out on a joke. Well, well you uh, referenced Batman earlier. So uh, what do you call Batman when he skips church? Uh Batman who skips church? I've heard this one before. Bat, bat, uh, uh, bat, uh, bla blasphemy man? I don't know. Christian Bale. Oh, God. Every <laughs> week you tell, a, you find a joke that's worse. It's like you're digging in a pile of bad jokes and all the bad ones have settled to the bottom because no one will touch them. And you dig deeper and deeper and you find this one. And you say, this one will make John's brain like microwave popcorn. I'm going to read it in the next episode. You write it down. Take a picture of your cell phone. So every week I like shocked to all anew. <laughs> Honestly, like the jokes part of this podcast is the worst part of my corrections <laughs> career. If, we, if we're all going to throw it in together, the ending of my corrections career is me talking about it on a podcast. And now this. it's it's so traumatic. Yet yeah, Carly loves the the dad jokes, so we we continue to do them for her. All right, that was for you, Carly. I want you to know I don't approve. And Carly messaged me today and asked me if I also make macrame. I don't know when I said that I made macrame. I. <laughs> Don't don't send me messages asking me about stuff I say in the podcast. I don't remember. Like I've got so much PTSD. I do so much podcasting, and I'm so full of shit that I just can't, I can't I can't keep it all straight. Sorry, sorry, Carly. I don't do macrame. Uh, although you do, and it doesn't make you lame. 
and uh but whatever because you make more money than me now i'm sure and you're you're up to staff so throw me a pizza party why don't you all right uh we will see you soon stay safe uh we'll catch you next time say goodbye jake goodbye jake